0: Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to Asking for a Friend. My name is Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. This podcast provides you with evidence-based information and real-world advice about getting to know yourself better sexually, and it covers all those topics that we would rather ask about for a friend. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature and isn't suitable for kids. Brian Cole is a sex futurist and pioneer in the field of sex tech who speaks globally about the impact technology is having on intimacy, but also on how incredible technology can be for sex. Her podcast and event series, Future of Sex, reaches thousands every month to explore the merging worlds of sex and technology. As a leader in sex tech, Briony's talks are received around the world by a diverse audience and she's the go-to person for anything to do with sex and tech. Briony, thank you for
1: joining me today on Asking for a Friend. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to be here and talking to you about everything sex and tech.
0: I mean, this is your your like forte. So you were the person. I was not having anybody else for this topic. So I'm really chuffed. (laughs) (laughs) Despite. despite being slightly jet lagged and in quarantine uh, or in isolation for the next two weeks, you, you've you agreed to chat to me. I, I don't even know, you know, this is such a broad topic and I think it's, it would be really useful just to start off with the real basics of, of helping my listeners to understand what exactly is sex tech.
1: Great. So sex tech in its most simplest terms is any technology designed to enhance sexuality. So, an easy way to think about this is just the word itself, right? It's a compound of two terms, sexuality and technology. And so, when we think about it in this way, sex in sex tech refers to sexuality, not just the physical act. And so, it can mean anything from Um, education, your sexual health, gender identity, um, sexual assault, crime and violence reporting, anything that falls under um, that sexuality umbrella. And then when we mix that together with technology, we're talking about cutting-edge technology like AR and VR and, of course, sex robots and apps, but also simple things like websites and wearables that you'll see today. That is all included under this sex tech banner um so i think it's often a lot more broad than people of really you know when they first hear the word sex tech think i think oh my gosh this is either robots or it's vr porn but in fact it's it's tools that you use for sex therapy that are Delivered digitally or teledildonics, so remote-controlled vibrators, right down to fertility kits and um, you know things for differently abled-bodied people that uh, are being created right now in the sex tech market. And it it
0: seems that there's been like a massive explosion of sex tech in the last, say, I don't know, five to ten years. Um, you know, when, when most of my clients, when I mention that I want them to go to like a sexual health and wellness store, um, or shop online, their immediate thought is of these like giant dildos, um, or like a sleazy bald guy behind a counter in a store. But the, the, the technology behind sex has, has come so far, hasn't it in the last, I don't know, decade or so.
1: Yeah, and you know, Katrina, I think the thing is the technology's come so far, but also the conversation has. And that's the big piece that makes it feel like, wow, we're we're just hearing about sex tech for the first time when it really has been around for a while. But yeah, the evolution has happened because we have amazing technology at our fingertips, but we're also a bit more open to discussing it, which is why we see, you know, different entrepreneurs coming in and, and using technology. In really interesting ways to enhance sexuality. So I think there's, there's like two things that are happening in tandem at the moment that make it feel like sex tech is everywhere. Um, and when we look, you know, on our screens or in articles that we read in media and podcasts, so like the proliferation of like sex podcasts has been amazing over the last five years. People are talking about this much more openly than before. Um, you know, we look at like Netflix or HBO or any sort of, you know screen time there's a lot of shows that are depicting sexuality in a much more open non-judgmental way whether that's shows like sex education or euphoria and then of course like icons i guess like celebrities that like Gwyneth Paltrow that are you know selling vagina candles or um, mm. and talking about this i think all of that for me is as interesting as you know augmented reality um, we can't move forward with this technology unless the culture and the conversation changes. And so, yeah, those two things together uh, are really exciting.
0: Mm, and I think that's such an interesting point because you're absolutely right. It, it's yeah, as much as I don't agree with a candle that smells like Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina, um, mm. it does start a conversation. It does get us talking. <laughs> um, you know, and and a, a show like Sex Education, which normalises real life experiences and doesn't just show us, Mm -hmm. you know, the idealistic romantic view of sex you see in the notebook, for example. Um, I agree with you. I think it's absolutely starting the conversation. So that makes such a it just makes so much sense to me, this, this combination of the advancement in technology as well as the ability to normalize this conversation even further. And actually, even mm. in the, the time that I've been practicing, I think I can see that as well. the The way we speak about sex is changing. It's almost a lot more... Um, acceptable to be speaking about sex more openly, and I think with social media, even we've been given that opportunity. So, you know, you mentioned you know AR and VR and, and um, teledildonics and all of these things. Um, can you just explain, you know, what are some AR and VR sex tech platforms that, 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 are, that are out there?
1: Yeah, so I think that the, those. Those specifically those two technologies, quite interesting because they're expensive. Um, they're expensive to be a part of. They're, they cost a lot of money to enter those industries. Virtual reality, you know, where you put on a headset, has been driven a lot by gaming and the porn industry. And so when you're looking for sex tech in that field, if we think about oh, what would be really amazing and revolutionary, probably sex ed in VR, what exists today, because it's hard to get funding for education, but it's certainly the existing capital in porn means they can experiment with these things. So you have um, programs like Virtual Sexology, which is run by porn, a porn company but is attempting to take people through, you know, sex edu- interactive and um, immersive sex education slash entertainment. Um, so they're the sorts of platforms that are, are really Playing with this technology and experimenting. Augmented reality, there's um, another porn company called Cam Soda, which are using augmented reality and um, what do you call them? Hologram images. And you can have like pop up strippers on your phone, sort of as holograms, which are super interesting in the experimentation. But I would say those sorts of far out concepts in technology are often they're so early and they require so much money to invest in into an experiment that there's just very few ones that have hit mainstream yet. A lot of the stuff we see today in sex tech is in fact apps, phone apps, Um, and that's much more easy for people to use and to access because a lot of people have smartphones. So whether that's apps like... Um, We Connect, which is for tele-dildonics, so super-connected sex toys where you might connect a vibrator to an app to your lover who's also got the same app who can FaceTime you with it or video chat with you, I should say. It's not using FaceTime. Video chat and message you through this app but also connect to your vibrator or your masturbator um, and change the pattern from another continent um, in terms of the vibration. So that's using apps in a more pleasure-focused way that's a bit more... um, mainstream i guess there's more people using that um there's also fertility apps like yo if you've um if you're interested in male fertility i think this is something we don't talk about enough but um yo is a home sperm test kit and you get a little slide, I guess, like a microscope slide that actually plugs into the phone where you'd usually charge your, put your charger, and you put a little, you know, sample of your sperm on this slide, and then put it into, you know, this could sound really weird to to describe on a podcast, but you you put it in and it essentially turns your smartphone into a microscope. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that are interesting. <laughs> Hard to describe in audio, Um, but they're the sorts of things that are a bit more cutting edge yet accessible to the everyday person today. Um, But I think in the future, I don't think it's that far away that virtual reality headsets are going to be, you know, in every household and going to reducing cost much like you know digital cameras or something did a decade ago. But we're just not quite there yet, so it's not. It's almost it's like I'm not even that excited by what's out there yet, but the potential of it would oh, be so amazing. The you know, sitting, sitting in the same same room, you know, the potential for VR in, in sex education, which I believe is a global issue. Anywhere I go, people are like, oh, I just had the worst, you know, or the crappiest sex education growing up. But imagine if we could give kids an immersive tool where they could sit and, and ask these sort of scary questions or intimate questions, whether that's about... STIs or, you know, how to be a good lover to someone in virtual reality and sort of sit there and learn and um, not be so embarrassed. I think that to me is like, oh, I can't wait till we have those sorts of tools and we're solving actual real issues in sexuality through cutting edge technology. Does that make sense? It makes
0: total sense, and my heart skips a little bit of a beat when you speak about education and and the access that we'd want, you know, kids to have, where it's it's safe, it's um it's not sh- it's non shaming, it focus- it can focus on joy and pleasure and consent, not not just on risk and danger and STIs and HIV and unwanted pregnancies, mm-hmm. which is what we see in the majority of the of the. I don't know, the Western world anyway, except in Holland, which I mean, I speak about this probably in every podcast, but you know, the Dutch Mm -hmm. have a very different way of approaching sex. And we see the results of a much more positive sexual development into adulthood because of their different approach to sexual education. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about the, the different types of things that we could be doing is just, uh, you know, I get very very excited by the prospect of how we could use technology to our advantage because i think that so often technology gets a bad rap for you know addiction to smartphones porn addiction oh will you get addicted to your vibrator you know you're replacing the man with the vibrator you know the patriarchy and whatnot um what do you how do you talk to people and what would you say when they talk about like getting addicted to technology
1: yeah, I think that's the human's problem. That's not the fault of technology. We're so quick to, you know, point the finger at something and remove the blame from ourselves. But the, 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 definitely the smartphone addiction or whatever we want to label it is real. Um, but I think that the onus is on us to, to be more mindful about how we use technology. And that's the whole point of sex tech is like how, how can we how can we use technology to our advantage rather than where it almost feels like technology is using us and what's so interesting about this sort of nexus of sex and technology or intimacy and technology is you know on one end amazing opportunities for the potential for pleasure and education and, you know, fighting crime, but on the other end is a very obvious side of like, oh, when we turn to our phones more than we talk to our partner who's in the same room as us or our libido dies because we've got 12 hours of screen time, um, there is this negative view of technology as well and we really have to balance that and think about, well, how are we creating this technology? What's the intention? And and then the same for you, as someone just listening to a podcast. What's your intention with using your technology? So, yeah, my my perspective on that is we just need to be awake about how technology is shifting our behaviours.
0: Absolutely, it's being cognizant of of what impact it has on your life and why it is that you want to use it. I mean, for me, I I reference um, apps. podcasts all the time with my clients. I mean, multiple times a day, I'm talking about fantastic apps or platforms that they can use. And I'm so grateful that those exist. But in the same consults, I'm also telling them that they need screen-free nights in order to connect, you know, disconnect to connect. <laughs> so it's quite a mm-hmm. quite a fine balance of trying to get people to understand that the function behind their actions of, you know, can you connect with your partner in a real way? But also could you use technology to create fun and playfulness in your relationship, say through using WeConnect as an example. So I think mm-hmm. it's like a fine balance that we're trying to strike. And the point you made about about the function behind you know, the action and us as humans, we are the issue, not necessarily the technology, I think is valid. But also, I don't think that in my opinion, I don't think that tech can ever, ever replace human connection, and in particular, mm-hmm. human touch.
1: I c- completely agree with you there, too. And I think a lot of our fear around technology is it's going to replace us. All right? like whenever we're you know, we hear these or read these articles about AI replacing our jobs or, you know, in the field of sex tech, it's like, oh, it's going to replace our boyfriend or our girlfriend or we're going to be replaced. Like, this is a deep, deep human fear is that we're always going to be replaced and how out of control that feels when it's technology that is, you know, quote unquote, better than us. And I think, we need to take a breath and realise technology isn't that good at all the things that humans are amazing at, which is intuition. Like how does technology have intuition? It has to be very sophisticated to be as imaginative and creative as humans and display empathy and, you know, that right side of the brain that humans so naturally have. Whereas the left side of the brain, all the like, you know, logistical items or processes or operations or mathematics, sure, computers, technology will far outrank us in those sorts of skills. But we need to remember, oh, we have this whole beautiful range of capabilities that technology doesn't have and probably won't ever be able to replicate. And, and as you said, touch being one of them too. Like touch, like there's so many, there's so much knowledge in human touch that we're not even you know, capable or aware of realising when we touch one another and how how much, uh, yeah, our brain sends messages through that sort of touch is so sophisticated. I mean, that has been one of the things that's really high, been highlighted for me
0: during this, this, you know, novel pandemic is people in isolation without the access to touch and how much of an impact that has on us. Mm. Um, and, you know, It's a whole other conversation in itself. Um, Touch is crucial as human beings. As When we're born, we have two basic needs for care, comfort, and soothing, which comes from touch, and to be fed, and to eat, and to survive. Those are the two things that help Mm. us to survive. But something interesting that you mentioned was about the right brain. Now, what's fascinating from a neuroscientific perspective is that in babies, the right hemisphere of the brain is the first part of the brain to develop. And then it goes mm. to the left side of the brain and then it kind of bounces back and forth in spurts, right to left, right to left. So the emotion side of the brain, the creative side of the brain, playful side, the ability to feel, that is what develops first and foremost. And so mm. for me, that's what really signifies the fact that one, we're human, but two, that, that, I don't know, I don't think unless, as you say, it's hugely sophisticated technology, we could ever get close to that in in You know, robots or AI. But speaking of the brain, I mean, this is our biggest sex organ. So, you know, it is the control center, so to speak, for our arousal, our desires, turn offs, turn ons. And what do you think sex tech taps into when it comes to this organ? Mm.
1: Yeah, I think, happily, a lot of the newer innovations are focused around neuroscience and this, you know, the brain as a sex organ and how do we get back to that um, using really apps, right, like putting scientific knowledge and the best of, you know, sex therapy as possible as that is into an app and ancient wisdom and delivering it in a way that people are familiar with, which is, you know, as they would listen to a meditation or, you know, a daily practice that they have some app on their phone, which there are plenty of for other parts of our lifestyle. I think that's probably where we see the most interesting sex tech coming out of at the moment that is also the most funded side of sex tech. And that's apps like recently, Camera was just funded, I think it was like million, which is doing this. We have the Lover app, Furly, Coral. There are a whole host of apps that are focused on delivering more knowledge and resources around mindfulness and tapping back into the power that is your brain as the sex organ. And it's something that I think people have, you know, we're talking about this tension between technology and, and, you know, being addicted to our screens and losing our intimacy. It's kind of ironic that... It's all delivered through, the, through technology as well. But aiming to get people off their phones and into their bodies um, is a lot of, of what's going on behind the intention of all these companies, which I think is really exciting for sex tech.
0: Yeah, the, the irony is definitely not lost that we use our our mobile devices to practice mindfulness meditation. Um, you know, when we're trying to <laughs> to switch off, um, that yeah. is ir- truly ironic. Um, you know, it's you you mentioned. I just want to bring up one of the apps or a couple of the apps that you mentioned there, like an app like Furly. I I recommend that to clients all the time. How you know? How have you seen that sort of um, platform grow and? or maybe it's obviously helpful for me to tell my listeners that it's a a platform designed predominantly with women in mind in order to help them understand themselves better sexually through mindfulness-based kind of sexual practices. But it also has got educational lessons. It's got partnered guided practices. It's a very holistic approach to a woman getting in touch with herself sexually. So as an just using Furly as an example mm. how have you seen that platform and and perhaps knowing about them a little bit have have you seen it grow in popularity and engagement other kind of apps mm. that are similar like that being more and more popular what's been what you you know what have you seen out there
1: yeah well I think the interesting part of Furley is actually the human side of it so um it's amazing in that it curates all the content that you know you would want to know about you know the body that you know potentially you could go and read books or google articles or find maybe a youtube channel but furley is doing the work for you in terms of curating that content and delivering it in a really personalized way which is one thing which is technology is great at the human side of furley is what I find really interesting and has a lot to do I believe with the growth and popularity of Furly itself is the community. So because you know one of the co-founders Billy, has talked very vulnerably and openly about her own sexual story and vulnerabilities I think that helps attract people but then they have this whole community around them which really okay that's, it has nothing to do with technology but has has boosted the growth of it, has made people feel a part of it and made people feel less alone, which I think is probably the thing I see the most that people struggle with just having a podcast and I don't, you know, I'm not a therapist or anything but people coming to me and saying, oh, am I normal this happened or am I normal, you know, my partner wants sex more than me. People are so worried about feeling like they're left out and everyone else has got it all figured out um, when it comes to sex that I think communities like barely do a great job of providing that support in terms of being able to connect with one another if you want in their private Slack channels. And I, I believe they have bigger, bolder um, visions for the future around this. But that to me is kind of like, yeah, technology is great in doing all the job it can to help you in your home, in a private space. It's intimate. Just like podcasts, you can listen to it anywhere. No one no one has to know. Um, but there has to be some humans behind the scenes that are doing the work that are making you feel less alone and more part of something um, bigger.
0: Yeah. That, that really brings out the, the realness, I suppose, of it. And I, I liked the way you described it as the community behind it because that's you know a platform as well, like the Vaginismus Network where they have a buddy system. You can contact them mm-hmm. and you know go online, read the blogs, be part of the community. But you can even contact them to to be buddied up with another woman who's experiencing sexual pain, um, mm. or a platform like Mojo Men where you know they're working to help young men overcome psychogenic erectile dysfunction. And I'm very fortunate; mm. I've had both of them on the podcast already. Um, mm you know, we've got sex tech for pleasure, we've got sex tech for education, we've got sex tech for, I don't know, adventure, curiosity and to explore our sexual needs. Um, what about kind of, you, you mentioned at the start of the podcast, sex tech for sexual health or gender-based violence?
1: Yeah, there's some interesting ones all around the world in terms of the sex tech dedicated to reporting sexual assault. And what I find Fascinating about this is it manifests really differently according to what country and culture you're in. Um, Callisto is a good example of US um, is sexual assault or harassment um, reporting online and just improving that process that can often be Oh, just awful, really, and make you feel as the survivor um, even worse about what's happened because it feels like it's going nowhere, or you know you're not believed. And Callisto, C A L L I S T O, have really revolutionised the way that's done, and you know provided some level of um, anonymity to survivors that allows anyone in the back end to sort of connect the dots and find perpetrators, which is um, really exciting. And they've moved that from something that was focused on really college college campuses where sexual assault is pretty rife in America, but also move that into workplace, I think, fueled by this Me Too movement and, you know, people speaking up about, well, this just doesn't finish at college. This happens in the workplace too. So they've developed that tool there. Torange is T-O-R-A-N-J is an app um, that was developed in Iran for domestic abuse survivors in order to get Um, support, particularly when they're still living with their partner and um, for women that's extremely hard in that culture and so they provide access to legal services and social services and support in a way that's really cleverly designed. Um, And this is sort of, you know, they're just two examples of where, you know, in Japan there's also really different ways that they're dealing with sexual assault. Even on the subway they created this Stamp that's um, sort of like this glow in the dark, a very lo-fi tech stamp that um, you could stamp your perpetrator with, um, that would highlight to others this person, you know, just has done some sort of assault or grope in the subway, which is a huge problem. Again, I think it's two thirds of um, Japanese schoolgirls experience some sort of assault in the subway. It's, it's a huge problem, which why they have subway cars now that are gender, separated by gender. Um, But that sort of thing, you know, probably wouldn't work in the US. And it's just interesting to look at how different countries are innovating or different people and cultures are innovating according to their needs and their culture.
0: Mm, I think that's fascinating. And it's actually (laughs) featured in Sex Education, the, the experience of having somebody rub themselves up against you which is unwanted, um, on public transport is frotterism I didn't actually realize mm. it was so rife in Japan. So, so interesting, you know, to hear the different cultures and the technology that's being used in specific or specifically for that cultural dynamic and that cultural issue. Um, and I, I know that, you know, as I said, we have wonderful apps for pleasure and wonderful apps for um, working with sexual difficulties. So it's fantastic to hear that we're able to use technology to our advantage to create safe spaces. You know, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, the the, the the Callisto is just fantastic because we want a safe space um, to be able to share what's going on for us where we don't feel like we're going to get fired or we don't feel like we're going to get expelled from college or You know, get taken. You know, we need those safe spaces. Um, So it's so great to hear that there's the the use of sex or the use of technology in relation to sex is not limited, um, as you've kind of really pointed out at the beginning, is just not limited to what people might think of as like dolls, you know, who live with you in your home and look forward to you coming home Mm -hmm. and you can program to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, speak to you in a certain way and you can dress up in a certain way. It goes far beyond that in in every facet of Mm -hmm. sexual health. But I I can only imagine that things have changed with COVID, so I'm, I'm wondering how, if anything, you've seen the the kind of the intersection between sex, tech, and COVID. If there have been any changes, and what what if those changes have happened, do you think will be long lasting?
1: Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about um, skin hunger before this deprivation of touch, which I think has the positive side of this is we've realised that intimacy is as essential as food and you know, water and sleep, it's it's survival is intimacy and we need human touch. So what's interesting with the technology is we're almost hacking the technology to figure out well how can we do this? How can we, you know, sticky tape it together to create some form of, of intimacy with one another. And so there's different things that are, that are happening that have sped up I think video for, for the dating sector I think video chat is now the norm and video dates are the norm which in terms of behavior has meant that people are a lot more dexterous with flirting online or virtual flirting and dating and much more likely to sext and I know Justin LaMilla share some really interesting research from the kinsey institute that it's studying COVID and intimacy and how people are you know that people that are stuck at home with someone else are engaging in um more fantasies than probably they would have before they're exploring more that's certainly reflected in the numbers you see in terms of sex toy sales people are buying a lot more sex ta- sex toys whether that's a first time use or they're upgrading so Love Honey did a survey where, just focused on America, 54% of couples were having more adventurous sex. So I think there's been interesting sort of cultural moments that have sped up the the features that were probably already there Um, and we're trying to, you know, hack the system in a way of, well, how do we have FaceTime sex? What does that look like? So more behaviours have changed and people are definitely turning to porn, whether that's ethical porn consumption or it's, you know, the tube sites and watching a lot more of that and making their own. So those sorts of things that are happening, the, the positive out of all of this, I think is that we're having conversations about sex a lot more openly than we did prior to COVID even, you know, and I see that from the business side, a lot more investors are interested in sex tech now than before because the conversation is everywhere. And, you know, people are engaging in behaviours that probably they haven't, you know, the sex parties that we see, the, the Zoom sex parties online, a lot of people have never been to a sex party before. So they're dipping their toes in by attending one virtually. So I think it's more that the behaviours are changing and the conversations changing, which is great because it allows us. To put more of a spotlight on sex tech and go, oh, well, what else do we need? Like instead of trying to hack this together, what could be a profitable um, business and need that we could serve for for different segments of the population? Does that does that make sense? Yeah, that of
0: course it makes complete sense. I I spoke to a journalist. Um, got me Friday now. I spoke to a journalist a couple of days ago um, about, you know, sex and COVID and how things have changed. And one of the things I was talking to her about was how, you know, at the start of this whole, you know, global lockdown, I'd say the majority of the world went into lockdown around March, uh, March, April. And I what I saw was this kind of trend of people trying things and exploring their sexual needs and desires and i think there was a real novelty in the first you know couple of weeks or months of of lockdown and the other thing i said to her which you've, you've pointed out as well is that people started engaging in activities like zoom sex parties that they may have been too shy embarrassed fearful you know worried about to do before but from the comfort of their own home where they could mm. you know just be a voyeur and watch things if they wanted to or they could be an exhibitionist if they wanted to they could engage within their own means and within their own parameters rather than being physically there. And also it's the safest way to engage in sex right now, you know, once while, while there's a, a highly infectious disease going around. Um, right. So it's the safest thing to do is actually to use sex tech to meet your sexual needs. And what was interesting about that study that Justin Lay Miller did and, and the Kinsey Institute was the reasons why people were fantasizing more The one was to temper, well, kind of top three reasons. The one was to uh, heighten arousal. That was the main reason. Second was to temporarily escape reality. So that makes sense. And the Mm. third was to meet unmet sexual needs. And that is the wonderful way that our brains as our biggest sex organs and sex tech come together to help us meet and explore our sexual needs. So it's really interesting to hear from you as the expert to say this has kind of really accelerated what was already happening. And now we've kind Mm of got lots of access to. So I'd love to know, you know, what's new in sex tech that you're really excited about that you want to share with the listeners that you'd love people to know about, whether that's to do with something about pleasure or gender-based violence or, uh, you know,
1: erectile dysfunction. Well, I think probably the most exciting thing for me now is the diversity in what people are creating. You know, we need more people in this industry, you know. People always think, oh, well, I don't have any experience. Yes, you do. Your own story. Everyone brings their own story and their own sexuality to sex tech. And what I find interesting now is we've moved beyond this initial wave, which was... um, Mostly focused on female empowerment, which is amazing, and, you know, normalising the vibrator and pleasure toys, is now we're looking at entrepreneurs that are from more, I would say, niche markets, oftentimes invisible populations like the disability community that are now raising money and creating their own companies um, that are serving needs for that population. And the disability market is huge and has been so underserved. And what's been exciting through COVID is talking to um, this brother-sister founder duo I must introduce you to who have started a company called Handy for sex toys for anyone at this point with hand limitations, but with any sort of, you know, in the future, any limitations in mind. And they're creating these really amazing innovative prototypes um, for disabled communities and disabled people that haven't existed before and to me that's those are the exciting ones when people come out and create things for themselves and serve a huge market in the in the process
0: for me i mean that i just got again i got like goosebumps and got really excited because i've done quite a lot of work in the kind of the intersection between sex and disabilities you know breast cancer and sexuality or cancers and sexuality the the forgotten the forgotten populations in the sense of like, Mm. oh, you've been diagnosed with breast cancer. We'll just forget about your sexuality. Let's just pretend that doesn't exist. Or, oh, you've been involved in an accident and you're a full quadriplegic. Now, okay, well, we'll just pretend sex doesn't exist. I love that there are platforms being developed by people who have real needs who go, there's a massive gap here in the market for this. We need something like this. And I think Mm. I feel that it's always the best when, a a platform like that or a product like that comes out from people who really get it rather than Mm. just a company who wants to monetize and um, put products out there. Uh, But that's my, that's my personal view of
1: it anyway. Same. No, I agree. I mean, they're, they're, they're so impressive. That company is so impressive and that they're creating from their personal experience, but also very hands on in terms of um, talking to the community so much so that they have, um, now authored a book um, with the disability community, which shares all these stories that I think and questions that people are honestly too afraid to ask. And I've just been so inspired. So I also get chills around um, what they're doing with disability and sex. And I won't forget the. What Andrew told me as one of the founders is like most people will be disabled in their lifetime. Like as you age, you're going to become disabled in some way, whether that's pain or immobility, your lack of dexterity, weakness in some way. Most of us will end up disabled and will be part of this population. And don't you still want to enjoy sex?
0: Yes, yes, yes. Just because we get older doesn't mean our desires and sexual pleasures stop. And it reminds me of that fantastic scene in Grace and Frankie with Jane Fonda and I think it's Lucy Lucy Tomlinson. Oh shoot, I've forgotten her first name. But um, you know where where they talk where they start a a company making sex toys for older women. You know because they have mobility issues and arthritis and that's you know the the normalising of older yes. women or the older generation wanting to still experience sexual pleasure, right. you know, but in a way that they can, that doesn't, you know, cause them pain or is too difficult for them. Oh, I mean, it's a whole other conversation in itself, but it seems like you and I very much feel yes. it the same. So
1: I feel like we're going to get old and start a sex toy company together at this point. <laughs> you call me anytime, <laughs> anytime. And I'm game for that.
0: Um, And, you know, I think so much of what we've touched on today will be very fresh and new for some people. And a lot of it will be kind of old news, but an updated version. And so I have no doubt that in the future we're going to chat about what's new in sex tech and the future of it. Mm. But the way that I finish every podcast, Brian, is I I, I like to ask my guests about the thing that surprised them most about the work that they do in the field that they're in.
1: Oh gosh, uh, you know what, I, it's a great question because I feel like I constantly get hit with surprises all the time. I mean, the biggest surprise I have is that we're still struggling with so much of the sex. It actually has the conversation, the conversation we should have with our partners, our family and friends I think that's the thing at the end of the day, after years of studying technology and sex and after interviewing hundreds, it's going to be in the thousands now of people that are in the business of sex tech. The answer, uh, the question, the answer that everything that always comes up comes down to being human and just how even though we've progressed in the last five years and, you know, since the 70s, I'm still so stuck. There's still so much stigma around talking about sex. So I don't know if that's really the answer that you were looking for. It's not a wow factor. It's more of a like, damn, we've still got a long way to go. We we do. and And the interesting thing is you're saying that as somebody
0: who's, you know, Australian so you've got the Australian understanding but also you know being in the states you've got the US understanding I'm coming from somebody who's kind of UK and South African based where South African culture and society is very conservative but I still see the same conservative views and 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 shyness around talking about sex in the UK. Um, And so it doesn't matter where you come from. I think there is this, there's this real need for us to normalize the conversation even more and to get people even more comfortable, uh, not even more, but to get people more and more comfortable um, when it comes to the topic of sex um, and to utilize tech in a way to do that. And, and maybe just as a a, a, um, a last thought is I, I think, you know, I saw it in your talk a while ago that you mentioned juice box um, and how you can mm-hmm. use that platform to practice sexting, you know, to improve mm-hmm. your level of comfort with sexting. So to really help uh, to really use technology to help you, face your your discomfort you might feel around sex in order to get more comfortable with your own sexuality and your own sexual expression which i just think is really really awesome
1: totally mm. yeah it's not a replacement it's it's an enhancement or an aid it should always be additive rather than replacing any sort of human experience mm.
0: so brianie i I want people to be able to find the work that you do. I mean, you've got your own podcast and, and tell us a little bit about that and tell us where people can find you on social media to get in touch. Yeah.
1: Well, if you're listening to this podcast, then you can you can continue on. Future of Sex is the podcast where you can find me there having these sorts of conversations. And if you're interested in starting your own Product, or maybe you want to be involved in the sex tech industry. I have a program called Sex Tech School, sextechschool.com, and it's a six-week program that's designed to get you started as an entrepreneur or as someone that wants to work in the sex tech industry and um, find your find your feet
0: that's absolutely amazing um we, we need more we need more people involved in this industry don't we, we? Do. um absolutely so thank you for chatting with me today despite the jet lag and the quarantining and everything i've i've had such a wonderful time chatting to you
1: wonderful thank you so much for having me
0: got a question you'd like to ask for a friend reach out to me via my website or instagram and i'll be sure to include it in a A episode soon You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it.